We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Chasing Hardware, the podcast that sits down with the sports figures you grew up with, and here's their stories. Welcome to Chasing Hardware. I'm your host, Rich Lamello. My guest today is in both the College and Pro Football Hall of Fame. His years at Florida State were so highly regarded that the award given to the best collegiate receiver each year is named for him. On the iconic Oakland Raiders teams of the 60s and 70s, my guest was the MVP of Super Bowl XI, and he played in five of the 30 most famous games in league history. When he retired, he was the fifth leading receiver all time, and nobody had more catches for more yards or more touchdowns in the postseason than he did. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to Chasing Hardware, Mr. Fred Blitnikoff. Fred, welcome. Rich, thank you. Good to be on with you. I hope you're doing fine. Yeah, doing great. Doing great. Um, and uh, yeah, let's let's just jump right in. Let's um so obviously I, I, you know, gave a little bit of color on your background just to open things up, but you're, you're born and raised in Erie, Pennsylvania. You go to Tech Memorial High, which is now called Erie High School, and you are a football, basketball, baseball, and track guy. Tell me a little bit about growing up in Erie, where I think if I understood correctly, your older brother was kind of an influence, and you also had a younger brother who you played sports with. Yeah, I played both of my older brother, Ken, who played at uh, one of our rival schools, East High School, and my brother, Bob, played with me at Tech, even though he was two years younger. Yeah, but, uh, you know, it was great being able to have uh, my older brother and watching him and uh, what an impact he made in sports. And then my younger brother, uh, who made an impact on sports in Erie and uh, being able to play with him for a couple years. And uh, just going through that process was great. And, you know, being raised in Erie was a, a, a great experience for me because of the fact that, you know, we had a lot of great ball players there, a lot of competition. Uh, the high schools were, uh, you know, everybody was a rivalry, you know, no matter who you were playing in the high schools. We had a lot of high schools and uh, the competition was terrific. Uh, a lot of us went to opposite high schools, but, you know, we always played against each other and we're still, a lot of us are still, the ones that are alive, we're still good friends today. 
And so it, it's a great, it means, it means a lot to me to be, uh, you know, to be from Erie. Sure. And you, you were, you were not surprisingly a very good athlete. You're all city in both basketball and baseball. You're a champion high jumper, obviously, you know, very good football player. Was it, was it always clear that football was going to be, you know, kind of the sport you wanted to pursue in college or were you looking at other sports also? No, I always like, you know, I always liked, uh, I always liked football, you know, that's, that's what I always wanted to play that, that interested me the most, you know, at that period of time, everybody, when you went to high school, that period of time, you know, you played all the sports, uh, because not only the limited number of people in school, but that's just what everybody did at that period of time. You know, like me, I loved football. My brother Bobby, even though he played uh, 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 w- with me, uh, was more of a baseball player than a football player, even though he went to the University of Miami, uh, you know, on a football scholarship. He ended up playing in the Yankee farm system. Okay. And my brother Kenny played, uh, played basketball and football, but he was a very excellent golfer. So that golf was kind of his sport. Bobby was kind of baseball mostly, and I was football. Got it. And and Erie is one of those interesting cities. It's it's you're about 100 miles from Cleveland, about 120 from Pittsburgh, and about 90 from Buffalo. Was there <laughs> yeah. was, was there like a team that you gravitated towards? Were you like a you know a Browns fan or Steelers fan? What was your kind of rooting interest? No, I was a Philadelphia Eagles fan with Tommy McDonald because Tommy McDonald was kind of my hero when I was growing up. So I always had a lot of admiration for him, huh. you know, as a player and his toughness and the way he played the game of football. And uh, that's 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 why I went and uh, wore number 25 was because of Tommy McDonald when I went to college and okay. and, it, and with the Raiders. Okay. Oh, that's great. That's cool. Um and and so and then picking Florida State, how did that come about? I mean, w- w- were you looking at you know a Pitt or a Penn State or a Syracuse or anybody like that, or did you want to go south? No, our our, co- our coaches uh, Ray Dombrowski and Al Calabrese uh, uh, knew the uh, uh, Ken Myers, who was uh, born and raised by family by you know part of his family in Erie, Pennsylvania. So uh, both the coaches Ray and and Al knew knew uh, uh, knew Ken, and so that's how. And Ken at that time was the offensive coordinator at Florida State, and he happened to be up uh, my senior year, uh, up in the area area. So he came and watched us work out and everything, and that's how I eventually got down to Florida State was because of Ken Myers. Okay, and you get to Florida State. Bill Peterson's the coach. Pretty interesting mm-hmm. staff on the staff. Uh, Bobby Bowden is a young wide receivers coach at the time. Don James, who would win a national title at Washington, is the defensive coordinator. Uh, to hell of a staff they had down there. Oh yeah, oh absolutely. So you know, we've, uh, Bill had a great staff, very creative staff. Not only you know with with uh, John Coda and Bobby and uh, uh, on offense and Don on defense. You know, we were a pretty solid team that had a lot of experience, guys that knew what they were doing coaching and are very excellent at what they did and very excellent at teaching. So yeah. it worked out really well. And Bill, you know, Bill had a good connection with Sid Gilman down at San Diego, you know, with the Chargers and spent a lot of time. And that's how we kind of mirrored our offense 
according to what the Chargers were doing. So that's how we kind of got fed that type of offense. You know, we had a quarterback like Steve Tenzi from Ohio uh, that was an excellent quarterback. And so it fit right into what we were doing. Yeah. And, and you're at Florida State. Each year you guys are – first couple of years, you're basically like a 500 team – you're playing both mm-hmm. receiver and defensive back. You set a school <laughs> yeah. with a 99-yard interception return that has only been broken by Deion Sanders uh, since then. Um, and then, uh, and then your senior year, you you really break out and you lead the nation in receiving yards and touchdowns. And I think you're like second in catches. Um, and I, I wanted to ask about a couple of games that year. You guys, Florida State beats Florida for the first time ever uh, that season. You catch a touchdown. And I think Spurrier, who would go on to win the Heisman, is a sophomore starting for them. You beat Miami 14-0. Your brother's the quarterback. And <laughs> you beat Oklahoma in the Gator Bowl. You you actually kill Oklahoma, speaking of Tommy McDonald, in the Gator Bowl. And you have 13 catches for 194 yards and four touchdowns. Um, if you could just give me a comment or two on those games, the Florida, the Miami, and the Oklahoma. Well, they were all rivalry games, you know, especially you know it, it, within the state. Mm-hmm. You know, at that time, uh, you know there was there was there was uh, our school, Florida State, Miami, and Florida were the major schools. Yep. You know, and uh, that was such a, a you know interstate rivalry every year. And, you know, our big rivalry, obviously, was, was Florida, you know, playing them all the time. And that was a big battle that, you know, if you kind of won that game, you know, you had part of the uh, celebration of being the, one of the best teams in the state. Then if you beat Miami also, then, you know, you had control of the state as far as at least for a year, you know, with something to work from. Right. As far as being the team that 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 was the the big college team in uh, in the state of Florida, uh, that, those were those were our two big games, you know, yeah. and that was sort of like, you know, you know, supposedly just for for PR, you know, if you won those two games, you had a successful season. Well, you know, that's all well and good, but you still got a bunch of other games to play. But you know, we're happy with the year we had. That year it was a great year. It was the first. First year, Florida, Florida State beat Florida ever, you know, then going down to the Orange Bowl and playing against Miami and beat Miami down there in the Orange Bowl was a, a great, a great amount of success for us and a, a great accomplishment. Yeah. And, and did I read correctly? Al Davis was at the Gator Bowl and signed you kind of immediately in the <laughs> aftermath. Yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that's real true. Yeah, you know, you had the opportunity that time because, you know, it was still the AFL versus the NFL. It was like the young league versus the old league. And uh, you had your opportunity to go to either league. So you had a choice. And, uh, you know, I always wanted to go to Oakland uh, because of the fact that, uh, you know, it was a passing league. Mm-hmm. You know, and I felt that at that time I would fit better going to Oakland then I would going up to Detroit. So I made my mind. So right after the game, you know, Al was there and we signed a contract uh, before I even got in the locker room <laughs> right off the field as soon as the game was over. And I was happy I did it. 
you know, you make decisions, and sometimes those decisions aren't the greatest decisions that you could possibly make. But it turned out for me, and I was very happy with uh, with the way they turned out. Yeah, I have no complaints. And and you you step into a Raiders team. Al Davis is the coach, and mm-hmm. your quarterback is well, recent Hall of Fame inductee Tom Flores, who would go on to coach the Raiders to two Super Bowl championships. He's your quarterback. You've got Jim Otto, uh, a Miami of Florida guy, uh, you know, legendary mm-hmm. double zero at center. And early on, you're a special teams guy. Al gives you a shot about halfway through the season and you end up with like seven catches for 120 yards and a touchdown. And all of a sudden you're his, you're his, you know, one of his starting wide receivers. Um, what was the, the transition? To the <laughs> yeah. like- Only if you did your job. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, it was, it was, uh, it, it was an experience having Al as your head coach because you know, that's one thing you learned about is uh, all the phrases that he uses, commitment to excellence, just win, baby. Uh, that That's that's what you learned. You know, you were you learned to be uh, uh, dedicated. You learned to be uh, uh, how to be have a great work ethic. Uh, you learned to know that. You know, once you're out there on a the field, you were you were committed to being a ball player. You're being committed to be a Raider, and uh, and that's what you learned quickly with Al. Uh, in Al's mind, greatness was the best thing that you could talk about. You know, it wasn't just being good or fair or whatever it may be. You know, you always talked about greatness, and that's what you strive for uh, all the time with Al. You know, if you didn't strive for being great, then uh, you were just you were just another guy. And and it's an interesting time in the AFL because it's you're obviously the AFL would exist for 10 years. So this is right in the middle of it. He leaves after one year of well, he leaves after that season of being the head coach. Mm -hmm. He'll be the commissioner. And then and so John Rouch comes in and then Mm -hmm. and then Davis comes back like within a year because the AFL NFL merger is um, hammered out and, you know, obviously calling for like three or four years down the road for the leagues to come together. But meanwhile, Mm -hmm. it was done somehow behind his back, even though he was commissioner. So he said, well, screw this and came back to the Raiders, but not to coach just to be the owner. Um, What was that like as a player? Was it kind of a weird situation? No, not really. You know, when, when now, when Al was gone, you know, he just had a decent year. You know, then when he returned back as, as, you know, part owner, uh, then, you know, you saw, you saw the coaching side of him as a head coach. And now you saw the other side of him uh, as being an owner and, uh, what he demanded. He, he demanded a lot like he did when he was the head coach, uh, you know, from his coaches, from his players. And, uh, he was a hands-on owner. You know, I don't, there weren't too many practices that he wasn't at. And even when you were in training camp, you know, so he was a very hands-on guy with, with the, with the organization. I mean, he was an owner yeah, and that, that's what he demanded. And, uh, that's, you know, you know, we, that's what you tried to, uh, deliver. And then yeah. the, the 67 season's amazing. You look at, you know, kind of how rosters change. 
that year, either through draft or trade, Gene Upshaw is added to the roster. Willie Brown is brought in from Denver. George Blanda comes over. John Madden mm-hmm. joins as the linebackers coach. Um, and oh, by the way, all four end up in the Hall of Fame. And then, oh, by the way, Daryl LaMonica comes in uh, from, I think, from Buffalo. And mm-hmm. he is now the starting quarterback. Th- that is like a huge first step towards like, you know, what you guys were starting to become. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, he, br- he brought Daryl in because uh, of what Daryl could do on a field. Right. You know, as far as throwing the football. And that's what that's what we were our team was based on throwing the football and always on the attack, always wanting to move the ball down the field. We had a great running back, you know, with, with Clem Daniels there and a, a, a bunch of guys, you know, then uh, as the years grew, you know, the running backs became, you know, uh, more and more involved in a game. The passing offense went more and more. And it just got to be where uh, we were a pretty good machine out there as far as going after people and beating people. And defensively, when you had guys like Charlie Sumner on a defense and uh, run your defense and how outstanding that was all the time, uh, it, it was a pretty good group of coaches. And uh, he got a lot of great players in there, as you well know. Yeah. And and that year, you guys break through. You win the AFL championship um, against Houston. You, you route them forty to seven at home. So you know, kind of delivering for the home fans. You know, a big championship win uh, before going on to play Green Bay in the second Super Bowl. What was it like winning that AFL championship in front of the home crowd? It was great. I mean, you know, you, you listen. There, there is a. You know, great number of years in my 14 years, there was never a better place to play right. than in Oakland. You know that uh, the, the people, the crowd, the people prior to the game, after the game, they're just people that were so uh, wrapped up in the team and so dedicated to to the team as far as being there and being loyal to the to. To to uh, to the organization and being one and, and they just you know they really inserted themselves well as far as being not only part of Oakland or the Bay Area uh, but part of the Raider organization and part of that stadium yeah. you know because you know a lot of people didn't like to come and play in that stadium because of the because of our fans but. Uh, our fans loved us and we loved them. And that was the bottom line and to be able to have and like to win that championship there, you know, uh, it was, it was a a great, a great thing for us because, you know, we were, we were starting to be, get on the move as far as being a dominant team. Yeah. And, and you guys go out and you, you play green Bay. Now, obviously they're, this is their fifth title in seven years and it's a team, it's, you know, obviously it's a very veteran team. It's actually starting to break up a little bit, but what was it like, you know, kind of facing off against them? You're playing against legends, right? You know, we were a young team, you know, with, with the, with the, with the uh, group that we had, our team was a young, very young team. And you're, you're playing against legends that you watched play and that were just outstanding. And with the, uh, you know, a legendary head coach 
and legendary players, and that's who you're playing against. They were already they were already legends uh, before we even met them. <laughs> right. And uh, and it, you know it was it was uh, you know something to be out there on the same field with those guys. And like I said, we were a young team, but you know we we did we did okay. Did we do great? No, we you know there were some things that we we hung in there with them. And a lot, we made a few mistakes that, you know, they were able to score and, uh, that was a turning point in the game. But other than that, you know, we, we hung in there with them pretty decent. Yeah. And, and you, most, most people, when they think of the, you know, you and the Raiders receiving core, it's, it's you and Cliff Branch and, and Dave Casper, but you're paired for a couple of years there with Warren Wells. And the two of you are incredibly productive. I mean, Wells is putting up thousand yard years uh, you know, kind of a couple in a row. Uh, what was he like as a player? And then also, oh, he was Warren was great. But you know, I started off with a guy named Art Powell, sure, who was a great player. And uh, Art was was a big guy. He could run. He could catch the ball. He was a very he was an excellent excellent player. Very intelligent. And uh, then when when Warren came in. Warren was, you know, he came in from Detroit and then would give, uh, uh, I think it was a year with Kansas city. And then we, we got him, and, uh, Warren was a standout right from the beginning. I mean, Warren, Warren was a dangerous player, made a list of 10 things that you wanted to see a receiver do a receiver play, uh, with all the attributes, physically, speed wise, quickness, hands, route running, uh, and so on, blocking, and so on and so on. Warren was your guy. Um, yeah. And, th- and that's the year, uh, 68 is the Heidi game against the Jets, where the Jets seemingly have the game in hand. We all know that the, uh, <laughs> the network goes to the, the movie Heidi. And then all of a sudden, everything that could, could go wrong for the Jets did. And you guys end up winning. Fortunately, that we learned a lot, and that's how we played. I mean, uh, we played in a lot of tough games. We lost a lot of tough games, but we were there to the very end. Yeah. And that was the most important thing that uh, all of us are, are learned at that period of time, that, you know, you're never out of the game. Yeah. And, and again, you know, kind of building towards your championship year in 76. It, that season, you, you had Kenny Stabler, Art Shell. George Atkinson. Um, and then the next year, John, and after that season, John Rouch leaves for Buffalo and John Madden is elevated to head coach. He's, I, th- I think at the time, well, I think he was the youngest head coach ever at that point. Um, what was that like in the locker room, having a guy only a few years older than, you know, a lot of the guys in the room? Uh, what was it like having him take over? Well, it was, it was, it was good because, you know, we want, you know, Al always wanted to like young head coaches. Right. And obviously with John, he saw something in John that he felt uh, was going to be good for the team. And then that's, you know, Tom was there. So Tom was a big addition for him. It was a big addition for him mm-hmm. because Tom uh, obviously knew offense so well. Right. And John was a defensive guy. And the defensive staff had a lot of great coaches there. We had a lot of great coaches on offense, so you know it was it was a perfect fit for John to be surrounded by a lot of great coaches too. Yeah, 
And and about that time, so now you've got Stabler, Bland has come in. You still have LaMonica. You, you have to have probably the, the most talented and you know intriguing quarterback room in the league. Um, and and right around there, I think it was in 1970, Blanda, who's like 43 or 44 years old, comes off the bench five straight games, wins four of them, ties the other one. What was it like? I mean, you're the receiver, right? So you're catching passes from LaMonica, but Stabler's the young guy. Obviously, Bland is the old guy. What was that? What were those dynamics like? Well, playing with George coming from Houston well, with the Bears, that was the start of his career. And then being with the Oilers, the Houston Oilers, you know, you knew one thing with George. You know, he was going to call a play and let's get the ball, let's throw it down the field. And uh, George was a, a great inspiration for everybody. Because of the fact that, you know, uh, he came into those games, you know, winning the games, not only throwing a ball, kind of a field goal kicking also. And, uh, but uh, George was a veteran guy. He was a tough guy. He was a very much of a gambler. He wanted to get the ball down the field. He loved getting the ball to Ward. And, uh, and that was the thing with, with George. I mean, when George, when George came in a game, you better start defensively. You better start backing up, okay? Right. Because that's exactly what he was going to do. And George was a very, very, very smart quarterback. I mean, very good, and had a very good command in a huddle, out on the field. And uh, it was, uh, it was, it, you know, it's fun when you're winning, but it was just really a pleasure to be able to play with George all those years and see exactly, you know, how a professional worked. Right. Right. And and you had a young Ken Stabler coming out of Alabama, the scrambler, the snake. Uh, could you did you see early on what you know he would become? Kenny was very mature because Kenny had an opportunity to sit for a couple of years mm-hmm. and see Daryl be with George on the sideline and then see George go in a game and see what George did. So Kenny got a good learning experience. So when uh, when it was Ken's turn, when it was Kenny's turn to go in there and take over the team, it wasn't a problem. He just fit right in. Right. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, he knew, you know, from those couple of years of not playing, he knew all the players and being there at practice all the time and, you know, working with the guys and being around the guys. So, you know, the switch over to Kenny uh, wasn't he, there was no hesitation. You know, it was just that Kenny was very good, had the commander to tunnel, tunnel, uh, the huddle, tunnel, the huddle, and we come out there and Kenny was a very intelligent player. He knew how to use his personnel, like, like Daryl knew how to use his personnel. George knew how to use his personnel. Flores, when I was a young kid, when Flores was a quarterback, knew how to use the personnel. So that was the great thing about the Raider organization and Raider teams with that, the quarterback knew how to use the personnel, and he had that option of being able to use personnel during a ball game if he wanted something, change somebody's route in in, in, in the passing game. He could change somebody if he wanted to. So it was all there laid out for him, and it was up to him to know how to use it. You know, you never lost a beat as far as uh, – Having somebody come in there and, and taking, you know, taking a snap and calling the plays and 
moving people around and getting the ball of different people, knowing how to run the ball, knowing how to pass the ball, knowing who to use in different situations. All of them were excellent, you know, and Kenny, Kenny had that opportunity uh, to do that because of Daryl and because of George and Kenny just took over the reins and ran with it. Yeah. And, and around that same time, you guys draft, I think it's 71, Jack Tatum and Phil Villapiano come in, in the draft, also Clarence Davis. Um, and I, I interviewed Phil mm. Villapiano on this show and he said that you know, <laughs> he'd be, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, he, and he would, he would say like, you know, when you're hitting a guy, you've got a guy when Tatum came in and hit from behind and, you know, hit him high, he's like, it just sounded different than every other defensive player. he ever played <laughs> Well, listen, Phil was a, Phil was a great player. Believe me, I'll tell you what he doesn't, Sometimes Phil doesn't get enough credit for a great he plays uh, played out there on the field. He was a great player, and uh, that second that that secondary that defense it was a tough. Let me tell you something. It was a tough group of guys. I mean, and the teams that we played, especially in our division, if you weren't tough defensively, you weren't going to win. Right. And guys like Phil Tate Atkinson Willie. Uh, uh, all of them, you know, all the guys uh, on that field defensively, Ted, you know, wh- whoever was on that defensive field playing, the, everybody's a tough guy. Yeah. You know, you, you had uh, when, when guys in, in that secondary, those linebackers, the defensive line, when they hit people, they hit people, you know, there yeah. was no holding back. And that's, that's the way the defense was. And the defense really, Really, the defense and offense work really good hand in hand because because of the fact that you know we're always on the sideline. Everybody was always right around the sideline watching, right? You know, and that was a great thing because uh, you know when you're an offensive player, you don't want to know where you're going to get that ball from the defense, and a defense wants to know you know how the hell the offense is doing, and then you know our special teams were always exciting. And uh, so we're, we're, we're a good group of guys that really have a lot of, uh, uh, oh, I don't want to say concern, but have a lot of admiration for the guys that were on the field when we were on the sideline, whoever it may be, sure. you know, and that, and that was a great thing. That was a great thing about our team uh, over the years with the Raiders is the fact that everybody had a lot of admiration for, for each other. Yeah. You know, on how much talent you had, how you can play. Uh, we were we were a, a great team on work ethic, uh, being tough, uh, playing when you were hurt, uh, being dedicated, and going out there. And we all had one thing in common: we wanted to win. Right. Yeah. And and as a receiver whether it was in training camp in August or whether it was, you know, in a weekly practice, I mean, at, at different times you had to have gone up against those guys. What was that like playing again, you know, squaring off against Willie Brown or Skip Thomas, or, you know, if you were running an under route, like against Tatum. We didn't run under routes. That, that was for the running backs. Okay. <laughs> we, we ran routes. Okay. <laughs> We we didn't do, we didn't do all that little little league bullshit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, 
if you wanted to catch the ball, you better be able to run some routes up the field because you weren't getting any short routes. Done. Every once in a while, you might catch a little hitch or a quick out, but that's about it. But no, and you know, it would start every year. Started in training camp, you know, because our training camp or was really physical, uh, really hard. Uh, twice a day, you're playing against the same guys. I mean, you know, our practices were built around being physical. Right. Uh, because that's what you're going to be playing. You're going to be playing against physical players, and you had to learn to be tough. And you learn, you had to learn how to get beat up and still come back and play. Sure. You know, like in training camp, in the afternoons, I mean, we were all in the, in the mornings, our, our training camp would be basically the run game. But uh, the receivers and the quarterbacks and the tight ends at different times would come over to the other field. And all we did was throw the ball, catch the ball, and run routes mm-hmm. with the quarterback. Right. And that, that, it was all fundamentals the entire morning. And we'd get together uh, as a whole team maybe one time in the morning, and that would be it. In the afternoon, it, when you walked on a field, it was nothing but throwing for two hours, two and a half hours. Right. All right? You'd go, you'd do your one-on-ones with your defensive backs, but uh, you would probably take at least oh, 10, 12 reps in one-on-one against the defensive backs, okay? Then you would go to your skeleton passing, then your red zone passing, uh, and everything was everything was man-to-man. There was no zones, mm. all right? So that's that's what the league was. The league was a man-to-man league. And then in the afternoons at the end of practice, uh, you would go down to the 10-yard line going into the end zone, and you could uh, either run a slant or a slant corner. Those are the only two routes you, had, you could run. And it was all bump and run. So you had to learn. You went from the 10, you took like three or four, go to the five, take three or four. And you either heard learn how to get open on the slant route or uh, a slant corner. Mm-hmm. And you learned to get open and you learned to get beat up and you learned to be physical and you learned to fight and you learned to be competitive and you learned to win. You weren't going to win all the time, but you got to learn to win. And the guys that we had were obviously some of the greatest players that ever played the game. So, you know, you weren't playing against, uh, you know, Mickey the Mope. You know, <laughs> you're playing you're playing against guys that, that could play. And yeah. not only that, could play, they were big. You know, you take guys like Skim Thomas and Nehemiah Wilson, Willie Brown, Tatum, Atkinson, because Tatum and Atkinson, uh, even in our one-on-ones, would have to go out and I would make sure that the safeties that we had would always be involved in a one-on-one drills, mm. always be involved in a bump and run down in the red zone. You know, so those guys were working all the time, too, sure. you know, to cover. And that's yeah. how our safeties learned to cover. And our corners just get there and they just... just beat the shit out of you yeah. <laughs> that's it. you know and that's how that's how you learn to play yeah and you know and it's interesting because i think i read you were what about a four seven forty 
Is that about right? I don't even know. <laughs> yeah. And but but whatever. Let's just say it was a four seven forty. That that's basically you know kind of what Jerry Rice was. And I remember reading uh, his college coach at Mississippi Valley State, uh, Archie Cooley, said, "Yeah, I don't care though because that doesn't tra- like I want football speed because you know the reality is he's faster when there's a guy chasing him as opposed to running on a track with nobody around." And I, absolutely. I was thinking, yeah. And I was thinking about you because, you know, going back to when you're in high school, you're a high, uh, uh, yeah, like a high jump champ. And, you know, you watch clips of yours. You might not be the fastest guy on the field, but your ability to go up and get the ball, you know, from that era, everybody talks about Lynn Swan, your ability to go up and get the ball, you know, in traffic or, you know, just a ball that's high was unbelievable. And it probably owes to that, right? Oh, absolutely. You know, you, you, you know, well, you, you know what it is? It's all, how much it's, it all depends on who wants, who wants the ball most. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's, that's the whole thing. You know, it's, uh, guys go up and catch balls and they just go up there and they catch them. But then you can see when, uh, somebody goes up to catch a ball against somebody else and you're competing for that ball, you, you can tell a difference. Yeah, you know, and that's and uh, that was the, the difference on who wanted it the most. Yeah, you know, and that's that's what you had to work towards. Yeah. You know that that's it. That was a competitive in 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 everybody, and that's what Al liked. Al liked guys that like to compete, like to fight, and uh, hated to hated to lose. Yeah, and you know, not just lose, they hated to lose. That's what you had to become to be able to play. Yeah. Um, and I, I heard some, so around these times, obviously the team is known for being, uh, having a lot of characters and being a lot of fun to hang out with. I remember Phil telling me that after practices, I don't know if it was a Ramada or so, you know, some kind of bar near the stadium, you know, Matuzak and Sistrunk uh, and him and Hendricks and like, you know, a bunch of guys would end up in there, you know, kind of after practice all hanging out. And then you apparently had a bar and guys would go hang out there. Um, tell me a little bit about that stuff. Well, you know, the, the great, the, the good thing about it is we, we, you know, when we, when we were in training camp so long, mm-hmm. I mean, long, not like, not like they do now, you know, it's, you know, it's like a, I don't even know why they go to training camp, believe me. But, uh, uh, when we went to training camp, then you were going to be with around guys for, for at least two full months. Right. And you were going to be working twice a day, probably 90% of the time against each other. Right. And so we were able to have a good camaraderie with all the guys, you know, when we did get a night off or, uh, let's, let's not do a meeting tonight. Give the guys, uh, instead of a meeting, let the guys just go do what they want to do. You know, we had a lot of things to do, you know, like Phil, was great and getting things started like uh, uh, air hockey tournament, bowling tournaments, pool tournaments, uh, just so all the guys got together and did something together. You know, go drink beer or go over to the bamboo room up in training camp or a couple other places and just uh, just be together. And we went and we always carried that over to the season where we made it like we would have at least one night, a Thursday night, 
during the season that we all got together, went downtown Oakland, uh, go eat dinner somewhere and go have a pool tournament or a hockey tournament or, you know, just get together. And we always carry that over for at least that one day a week uh, all the time. And then the other days of the week, you know, always stop, uh, you know, around some, you know, someplace around the facility to go have a beer, uh, relax for a little bit, get together, hang out for a couple hours before you went home. And that's what we did. And sure. that's why we're, we're such a close knit group of guys. And that's why we always were able to be a bunch of guys where, you know, no matter what the situation, everybody had a great sense of humor. Right. You know, and that was a good thing about our team that, you know, everybody had uh, uh, be able to tease guys, you know, get around with guys and and have that camaraderie and that closeness, uh, for, you know, for a ton of years. Yeah. Yeah. And and it was, you know, kind of in that time when you guys draft Cliff Branch, who obviously can fly. Mm-hmm. And about a year or two later, Dave Casper comes out. This is a guy who spent most of his time at Notre Dame as a tackle, and he comes in as a tight end. And so now you're the receiving core um, and, you know, obviously making deep playoff runs every year. Uh, what was it like when Cliff Branch came on board? Well, Cliff, Cliff could run by anybody. Yeah. <laughs> 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 you know, it was, it was fun watching guys trying to get their back up and turn and run with Cliff. But, uh, no, Cliff, Cliff was the speed guy that could run by anybody. Uh, he, it took, it took him about a year to understand what it was like to be a receiver, Mm -hmm. you know, to be able to catch the ball consistently, you know, especially obviously catching deep balls, which, you know, when you can run that fast, you know, you got to be able to make adjustments. He learned how to do that and learned how to run routes. And he learned that, you know, you could use that speed to, to do everything else you wanted to do as far as running all the other routes. Yeah. You know, that the speed wasn't only there for one reason, the speed was there for, for a weapon to help you run the other routes that you needed to run also, other than going deep all the time. And, Cliff learned how to do that. He learned how to catch the football and he became a threat. Yeah. He became, he became like I talked about Warren being dangerous. Cliff learned how to be dangerous out there on the field too. And Cliff learned how to be tough because, you know, Cliff wasn't a very, very big guy. And, uh, he learned a lot from Willie Brown getting up on top of him in the line of scrimmage and camp and beating him up a few times. Mm-hmm. And he learned how to be tough. He learned how to uh, beat bump and run coverage. And he just learned how to be a complete receiver. It was yeah. it was great to see uh, what he did and how he grew and how he ended up being a, the, the great guy, great receiver that he was. Yeah. Yeah. It has to be between the three of you, uh, you know, as you're going into that Super Bowl season, has to be the most formidable receiving trio. Uh, uh, with Dave, I mean, with Dave, yeah. I mean, uh, I'll, t- I'll tell you what, Dave, Dave was phenomenal. Yeah. You know, I mean, we had Raymond Chester, and Raymond Chester could run and do a lot, do a lot of things. And then Dave came in, and uh, Dave was a very well. He went to Notre Dame, so he's intelligent. Okay. <laughs> 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 but, 
But uh, but Dave was a very intelligent player, a very good player, and he could catch the football and run routes, and he was very smart. Right. You know, very quiet guy, but he has a great sense of humor. You have to drag it out of him every now and then, but uh, he does have that dry sense of humor. Right. But uh, Dave's, a ter- Dave's a terrific guy. He, 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 Dave was a great player. I mean, there were games. Uh, I mean, you go, I'll tell you what, the other thing is, you know, you go back to like our Super Bowl against uh, Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah, you know, you get, I get to be MVP. But, you know, you go back and watch that game, you know, you wonder why he wasn't the MVP because Dave had a hell of a game. Sure. He he really played really excellent in that game, and uh, but that that's how we played all the time. And the thing uh, with all of us and Dave, and just talking about Dave now, I mean, if you want to make a have somebody make a play at a crucial time, uh, as a tight end, Dave could do that. I mean, right. that that was the biggest asset. Was I mean he could make a play at the right time and make the tough play, which that's what. Listen, the only only reason guys played with the Raiders is that if you couldn't make the big play, you, you weren't going to play. Right. You know, you might you might be the third or fourth or fifth guy down the line before you even got in the game with the Raiders. If you couldn't make that big play, then uh, you weren't going to play. Right. And fortunately. We had guys that could, and and Dave Dave was one of the ones that was very excellent at it. Yeah, unbelievable. As, as evidenced by, you don't see a lot of tight ends flying down the field that goes to the post game against uh, Baltimore, where he's catching that ball all the way downfield, where he's you know adjusting back and forth. Oh, it's, dude, it's unbelievable. You, know, you, you go, yeah, you go, you go back and you look at uh, some of the film uh, on on uh, some of Dave's catches downfield. And some of the adjustments he had to make, it, it was phenomenal. Yeah, it was really phenomenal. I mean, you, you could you you go down there and go, holy Christ, somebody! What a hell of an adjustment he made there, man! What a catch! Yeah, so we, I don't. I mean, you see these guys nowadays. I mean, I mean, there's a lot of great tight ends, but you know what? The one thing I I never see is I don't see any of them making those kind of adjustments that Dave made. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I don't see that at all. I mean, Dave made some outstanding, I mean, I mean, I mean, phenomenal adjustments to catch a football downfield. Yeah. And spe- speaking of an adjustment to catch a pass, I have to ask the question. I, I mentioned at the outset that you were in five of the 30 most iconic games of all time. You won four of them. You lost one. That was the Immaculate Reception. Obviously, you just had the 50th anniversary. Um. <laughs> I talked to Phil about it because <laughs> he, he was obviously on the field. You guys were over on the sidelines. What what was going through your mind when that when it was happening? Was it like, what the hell am I watching? Or tell me about that moment. Hell, we were halfway in the locker room. <laughs> right. Forget about watching. We're, we'll wait for the clock to run out so we get our ass to the locker room and get out of the cold. <laughs> and and then and then the disaster happened. But you know that's the, you know something. That, that's what happens, you know. That's you know when when people say shit happens, th- th- there you go. Believe yeah. it, yeah. And it happens, and and uh, you know he just didn't uh, didn't finish the game. Yeah, that's simple, you know. Yeah. And if it, if it was complete or incomplete, 
you know, it, it, it is what it is, you know, and that's, you know, I always looked at it, that's just part of life too. You know, you lose games and, you know, you could always look back and uh, say, well, if this happened or if that happened or this, or we got the call, this, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all well and good. And, you know, at the time you're all pissed off and everything and screaming and hollering and complaining, but, you know, you lost. Right. That's yeah. it. That's the bottom line. No matter what you want to do, you know, you're not going to change anything. And yeah. you just go forward. You just keep going on, which fortunately we we were that good of a team to overcome a lot of things that, that we did lose a lot of championship games on uh, to be able to come back the following year and compete again and be right there in the mix again. That was a great thing about our teams. We had that uh, we had that mentality yeah, and we had that desire. Uh, we had that desire to, to keep winning and to keep battling and to keep fighting. And um, we did it every year. Yeah. And, and, and speaking of that, yeah, you, you guys had this crazy run where there was like four straight years where whoever you lost to in the playoffs, that team went on to win the title that year. Um, oh, yeah. And, yeah. and so you just knew it was a matter of time where you were going to break through. Um I, I found the the sea of hands game against Miami. The Dolphins have won; they've gone to three straight Super Bowls. They've won two. You guys are hosting them in the playoffs, and you've got the sea of hands game where Clarence Davis catches that ball in the midst of like four Dolphins. What was when when you saw that ball, you know, kind of fluttering forward out of Stabler's hands? What was your thought? Well, first of all, I was on the other side of the field, so I didn't know who he was throwing it to. But then when uh, all you saw was a bunch of bodies and Clarence comes up with it and you're, you're happy as hell. Yeah. You know, you don't think, you don't think too much about, you know, who he threw the ball to or the guy he threw the ball to or what the guy was doing. Uh, th- that, that guy, Clarence came up with a big catch. He came up with a big play. Yeah. And that, that's who was Clarence. And they, he reached, he reached down the old gut bag and came up with the play to help us win. Yeah. You know, and, and that was it, you know, and that was, that was a great, that was a great thing about Clarence too. Clarence, Clarence could make big plays too. He's yeah. very great. He's Clarence, Clarence was a great player. Another one you of know? those guys who in that Super Bowl, you know, put up, you know, huge numbers along with you and Casper and, you know, the rest of the crew. Oh yeah, I mean you know then you, then you go down you know you have guys like Hubbard, Banizak, Van Egan, uh, Hewitt Dixon when he played with us before he passed away, uh, Clem Daniels, you know we had a lot of great running backs you know and that was that was the, you know that was the thing about our team, you know we had a lot of great people playing on it you know we were also a very good Monday Night Football team. Oh yeah, you know you won like twelve you know, that, in a row that, or something, right? Yeah, we we uh, we were pretty good. I think maybe we lost maybe like one in uh, I don't know how many years, something like that. But we we're a pretty good Monday Night Football team too, you know. Even though Cosell didn't like us very much, but he learned to like us, you know. <laughs> but uh, but that that was our team. Yeah, you know that was our team. I mean, we we liked the uh, we liked the limelight. We liked being in tough games. We liked tough situations. We we didn't care where we had to go play, you know. If we were home, fine. If we had to go somewhere to play, somewhere else to play, that was fine too. You yeah. know, we 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 looked at it was a challenge. 
no matter what we played, it was a challenge. Right. Uh, if we were at home, you know, of course, we had the crowd, which was fantastic in Oakland. And then on a road, even though the crowd was against us, they were still fantastic because they gave us a lot of energy to go out there and be competitive and hate the other team more. <laughs> but, uh, but that, that's, that's who we were. Yeah. You know, we're, that, that's, that's the people we had. And that, and that the Super Bowl championship team in 76, you're the MVP. You have four catches for like 79 yards. The, the, the significance of your catches is every single one of them got you within the two yard line. And then, I in almost every instance on the next play, you punched it in. The three offensive touchdowns were all set up by your catches. Um, what was what was that like in the locker room afterwards? I, I there was a great quote from Kenny Stabler talking about you saying, you know, we've worked together so much over the years. He knows exactly where the ball's going to be before I've thrown it, and I know exactly where he's going to be before I've thrown it. And you know that's what makes this work so well. Well, when you you know, let me tell you something. When you spend when you spend a lot of time uh, doing those things in practice or in practice against your guys uh, or uh, in games prior to to that game or whatever whatever it may be, you know those things just get to be uh, normal, right? You know, they're not anything that you feel like you're being put in a, 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 a foreign position. So it's just part of you, you yeah. know, and being having that connection uh, with Kenny and with Kenny, like with, with everybody on the team, with Dave, with Cliff, you know, with the running backs, with the offensive line, you know, the connection was always there. You know, everybody was always comfortable in what we were doing, what we were calling. And then it's up to people to, you know, just contribute, get out there and work and do everything to help the team win. Sure. And and after the um, after the 78 season, Madden retires and. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's your last year. Also, were you cut the next year in training camp, or did you decide to hang it up at the at the end of '78? No, I got let go in the off season. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. And you took a year off, and then and then you go up to Montreal and play in the CFL, and you enjoyed that, right? Oh yeah. Well, Joe Scanella, one of our coaches, was the head coach in Montreal. He was the special teams coach for the Raiders. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, one time he was a running back coach and a special teams coach, and then he got the head job up in Montreal. And so that year I took off that right after that year, uh, end of 78, well, be, it would be like the uh, start of 79 off season mm-hmm. when uh, I got my notice. <laughs> and uh, then in, uh, just before the eighty. Well, I didn't even start because by the end of the year, right after the first of the year, uh, Joe gave me a call and uh, he had a player uh, that got hurt or wasn't going to be a player out for, uh, going to be out for the season mm-hmm. and he needed to replace him with an American because, okay. because of the rule they have up in Canada, you know, okay. the import rule. Sure. And so uh, he asked me if I wanted to come up and play. And I said, yeah, sure. I'll come up and play, you know? And so I went up there and played 
1980. And, I mean, we had a good team. We, we, we lost in the championship game to get to the Grey Cup. And, uh, but the, the great thing about it is those guys in, on a Montreal team were just like the guys I left in Oakland. Almost almost like the mirror of all the guys. They were all veterans. They had been in Grey Cups. They won Grey Cups. Uh, They were all tough guys. They uh, were a good group, a good camaraderie group. They all got along well. They accepted me coming from the States, you know, and they all had great work ethics. And they just wanted to win. And, uh, believe me, it was just, you know, uh, if I had to say, okay, which group, uh, the guys in, with the Alouettes or, uh, guys in Raiders, I said, they're, they're like similar groups, right? You know, they probably, they probably would have got along pretty well together. All of everybody, right. if they were together, yeah. you know, if we had a big party, it'd be that they would understand each other. You know, because it, it was fun being with those guys in Montreal. I I really enjoyed it. Um, and and you enjoyed it so much. So you 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 got into coaching, and you ended up coaching. It's actually kind of interesting. You coached in the USFL for another old assistant coach, Charlie Sumner, uh, where you you got to coach Anthony Carter. Then you coached yeah. in the CFL, and then you coached the Raiders for like sixteen or seventeen years under a bunch of head coaches, like eight or nine head coaches. Um, and you got to coach guys like Tim Brown, Jerry Rice, Willie Galt, James Lofton. What was it like being on the other side, being the guy with the whistle around his neck? Well, you, you know what I had. Uh, you know what I never want. You know what I never wanted to get into coaching because I didn't ever wanted to coach somebody like me. That's <laughs> the first thing. All yeah. right, but I got into coaching when I lived down in in the Escondido area, mm-hmm. uh, California. Uh, a guy named Paul Moyner was the head coach at Orange Glen High School. Asked me, uh, I ran into him one time. We, we played against, the, well, we played together in the uh, Recreation Basketball League. And uh, uh, he asked me if I wanted to come down and coach. Coach wide receivers for him at the high school. So I said, yeah, okay, fine. So I did that for two years with him. Then uh, I, I went up to the Bay Area. Okay, uh, co- coached at uh, junior college for a couple years, and then uh, I coached, I helped Cap out, Joe Cap, uh, for not a year, but like the spring, the summer and spring football, and it helped a little bit during the fall with Joe at Cap Berkeley? at Berkeley. At Berkeley, yeah, mm-hmm. and that Ed, Ed Hall was out at the junior college out in Walnut Creek and Diablo Valley Junior College. And uh, then I went to the USFL, got the job at the USFL with Charlie. No, yeah, uh, with Charlie. Uh, And then uh, I coached for uh, uh, Tyler, Arizona with Frank Cush, Coach Cush, in the last year of the USFL. And then uh, the guy that I coached with, the Invaders, Larry Kahara, got the job in uh, uh, up in Calgary. So I went up to Calgary and coached up there. And then uh, left there and came back and then got the job with the Raiders. Okay. 
Oh, well, I was, yeah, I was, I, yeah, I was, yeah, but I, I liked it because you, you know what, there, there's, uh, I got to spend, uh, uh, coaching on um, basically on all the different levels of football. Yeah. You know, and uh, I liked it. I had fun. Uh, I don't know how great of a coach I was, but I was a demanding guy. Right. Uh, but uh, I had, a, had some good players in, in, uh, in the high school and junior college uh, up in Canada uh, in the USFL with Larry and, and, uh, uh, oh, geez, I'm trying to think of the other guy. Uh, Fred Bassana was our quarter, was one of our quarterbacks. Uh, oh, oh Bobby Abair was our quarterback. Derek Holloway was one of our receivers. Gordy Banks was another one of our receivers, uh, with Anthony and, uh, did up in Canada, had a good group up there. And uh, then going to the Raiders, you know, with the group I had there over the years were phenomenal guys, phenomenal players. You know, it's, it's you know what, even, even when you're right in the mix of everything when you're coaching, uh, you know you, you're around, you know, outstanding players. But, you know, it's the same thing I felt when I retired from football, got cut from football. You look back on your career and uh, even – the guys I played with the Raiders, the guys I played up in Montreal, I played with some great players. Yeah. And then I was able to be around coaching wise, a lot of great receivers. And, uh, so I was very fortunate to have that. And, uh, and yeah, I like coaching, but you know what? It's, uh, you know, you're, you're away from home, right. you know, it's, it's like, you know, the off seasons, you know, you go after the season, you get a little time off. Uh, you start right off with the combine and you're getting ready for the combine and the draft. And, uh, then you have your mini camps and then you have your little break for about six weeks, which is pretty tough, uh, when you're working for Al because you still had to be on call. In yeah. case you wanted to bring guys in and work them out, and then when he came back, he went right to training camp, and that was it for the rest of the year. And uh, so you get maybe, depending on how your year ends up, uh, team-wise, if you get in the playoffs, then uh, if you go into one or two games into the playoffs, you know, then that time uh, to get ready for the combine and no guys and you're ready for the draft and doing all that. You're already behind. Right. And, uh, so it, it's pretty much you know, all except for maybe a month, say, say, say six weeks out of the year, uh, is the only time you, you could ever get away from football. Right. You know, the off season, uh, I don't know how it is now with coach, Lofty, but our off season, you know, we were in the office, uh, every week till Friday afternoon at least and had Saturday and Sunday off and right back in Monday for the whole off season. So we were really uh, away uh, from football at all, except for two days a week in the off season and that vacation period right. and other than that. So coaching is a tough business, you know, yeah. and it's great. Like I say, it's like everything, you know, it's great when you're winning and, uh, is it's not very good when you're losing and you know you keep uh 
even like the other day, I, I listened to a couple guys after the Super Bowl. Well, and even at the, the uh, playoff games, you know, well, you know, you win a lot, you know, you lost, but we want, we learned a lot. No, you don't learn. You, you know, what? you start losing, you learn to lose. <laughs> that's, that's all you do, you know. It's it's like you know when you start when you start losing, uh, things go south real quick. Right. You know, and I don't know what you learn. I I think maybe individual guys learn when you lose on on the mistakes they made, and uh, how they should have done this, how they should have done that. But uh, I guess there's something to learn from it. But I've never seen it. I, I've never learned from losing. You, you don't want to get too good. What hell do I want to learn from losing? Other other than getting the hell away from it and getting off the field or coaching, you know, don't even want to show up the next day, you know. So that's why I'm I'm, I'm I've always hated losing. You yeah. know, there's there's not for me there's nothing to gain from losing. You right. know, the only only thing when we had lost some games. Uh, when I was playing and when I was playing, especially, you know, you couldn't wait to get back and get out there and start to get ready for the next game. Right. You know, get that taste that out was, of your mouth. Yeah. Now, you know, whatever, they always hug and kiss each other at, after the game and all that stuff, you know, I, I you know, me, I would say, uh, F and see you later, <laughs> go in the locker room, win or lose. <laughs> You know, why, why the hell do I want to go shake hands with somebody over there that's trying to beat me or we just beat? Yeah, yeah. Screw you. Guys got, got smiling you too much. <laughs> yeah. You know, hey, listen, you know, you go on the field, I'll tell you what, when, 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 guy, when guys, the, the one thing I hate is, you know, oh, you know, let's have fun. Hey, let me tell you something. Show me a guy that's going out there just to have fun. I'll show you a guy who's with his ass kicked. <laughs> you know, you're going out there to win. You're not right. going out there to have fun. You know, if, that, if that's what the if that's what the game is to you, then you got a long way to go. Yeah, so yeah, it's fun when you're winning. Yeah, you could say it's fun after the game. Oh, this was fun. Yeah, don't <laughs> say we're going out there to have fun. No, you're going out there to kick somebody's ass and win. <laughs> I love that's it. the bottom line. Listen, listen. When you're in sports, I don't care what sport you're in. There's only one bottom line. That's winning. Right. That's it. If you if you if you go if you go out there with a mentality to come in second, or that you lost and that's okay, or you came in second and that's fine with you, you're making strides. Well, you're you're full of shit. <laughs> you know that's, that that doesn't that 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 never that never went very well over with me. Right. You know it's just. You know, if, if you're if you're a competitor, you know you you uh, you're not smiling at anybody. You know, that, that's it. You're out there to do one thing. That's to win. I don't want to shake anybody's hand. I don't want to say hello. I don't want to say goodbye. I want to get out there, win the game, get the hell in the locker room, get dressed, and get the hell out of the locker room. That's all. You know, I, I t- you know what I I was fortunate enough to be able to play in a, a few pro pro bowls, and you know what I, I to me it's I would rather see the pro bowls then like they are now, <laughs> okay, hey. where they 
where they where they do the senior citizen drills and all that stuff. Okay, <laughs> everybody loves that. Okay, play catch with the balloon and all you know, pat each other on the ass and have a good time. <laughs> Go out there and run around, get your big paycheck, and get the hell out of there. You know, the Pro Bowls we used to play, these guys they get their ass kicked. Oh yeah, you know. But yeah, Pro Bowls I I I I I, I never, never liked them. You know, because you know, to me, to me, it was always uh, uh, once the season's over, it's over. Right. You know, that that's it. You just shut it down. You know, and then two weeks later, you're going to practice for the Pro Bowl, all that stuff. I I, I never I never liked that. I never and I never, you know, what? I never did very well in Pro Bowls anyway. So, uh, but but my heart was never in it to even be there. My my one my my biggest Pro Bowl thing was we we're down in L.A. and Madden was the coach, and uh, uh, I I I was a replacement for one of the guys that couldn't make it or got hurt or something like that. So I was close in Oakland. Asked if I wanted to come down. I, yeah, I'll come down. So we're getting introduced after. That's when I mean during the, before the game. You after you used to line up to introduce everybody. They let those pigeons go. One of the pigeons shit right on my shoulder pads. <laughs> that's, that's my and I, and I and I crack my wrist in the game. So you know, footballs are not my favorite. Yeah, no, that's funny. not at all. No, well, I have to, hell no. I have to ask you two questions before because I've obviously I've taken up a ton of your time. Um, first of all, toughest D backs not wearing silver and black that you went up against. And then also, what was the when did were you first introduced to the stickum? Have to ask those two questions. Well, it's 49ers had Jimmy Johnson, right? Who was excellent. And uh Kansas City, oh boy. Oh Emmett Thomas. Uh, Emmett, Emmett, and then my God, the kid I played against most of the time. Oh, Jim uh, Marsalis? Yeah, Jimmy Marcellus. There you go. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, Jimmy Marcellus. Yeah, yeah. Because playing against Jimmy Johnson, because uh, well, Herb Adderley, I still have a nightmare with that from the Super Bowl. Sure. Okay, picked it off and ran it all the way in for a touchdown. Okay, but Herb was uh, excellent, excellent, excellent Hall of Famer, all that. Jimmy Johnson was excellent. Yeah. All right, Jimmy Marcellus was excellent. But the thing with Jimmy Marcellus, when you saw Jimmy Marcellus, if you watch fights and you see boxing and you see a guy like, uh, say, uh, the 145-pound, 150-pound guy, the fighter, that you know, you know you're know, you in for a, a fight, <laughs> that, right. that's what Jimmy Marcellus looked like. Okay? okay, Jimmy Marcellus was quick, tough, battle. Um uh, we we went after each other pretty good. <laughs> I like playing against him, and uh, it, it was a battle. Yeah, it was a challenge, you know. And we played against each other long and uh, uh, a lot of years. Yeah, you know. And it was it was it was fun. I'm glad you remember his name. Uh, but Jimmy, yeah, absolutely him. Jimmy Johnson, Herb. Uh, you know those. those well, that you know something in 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 that period of time that I played, I mean, you know what? You could go down on every team, 
and that, well, you know what? You look at that era that I played in, uh, that period of time that I played in. Quite, there's more Hall of Fame guys in that era. Era, it, it's unbelievable. You you go from like, uh, go from like sixty seven, sixty six, sixty seven, all the way to uh, say seventy seven, seventy eight. Thanks so money. There's more Hall of Fame guys. In that period of time that I played against is amazing. Yeah, no you know, way. and it, yeah, I mean, it, it was it was amazing. I mean, there's, I, I don't know if there's that. I don't think there'll ever be an say say a ten period, ten, a ten year period of time. Say you go from sixty seven, say sixty six, sixty seven to seventy seven. Mm-hmm. I don't think you're ever going to have that many Hall of Fame guys playing professional football in that period of time. You know, you had great games, my God. You know, phenomenal games. You had phenomenal players. You had, le- you had legendary players. You know, legendary players that people still want to see be around. A lot of guys have passed away. But that's that's what that era produced. Right. You know, it, it was a phenomenal era. And to be able to play in that era, I mean, and, and you know, I mean, this is talking for everybody. I mean, you had to be pretty damn good to play in that era. <laughs> You know, I don't care who you were, you know, if you're, if you're going to be successful in that era, you got to be pretty goddamn good, man. I'll tell you that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And, and, what and then the, what, the stick em, the yeah, stick em, you know what? I, I, oh, Jesus. The, 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 uh, Speedy Duncan. Sure. Well, I think Speedy played, might have played for Washington for a period of time. Then was uh, I think I'm not sure, and he was a returner, defensive back, a corner. Sure. And then he was with the Chargers. Yeah, that's well, right. Dick Romanski, yeah, Dick Romanski, who was uh, our equipment manager. Uh, uh, I forget the guy that was equipment manager for the Chargers at that time. He, he was there for I don't know how many years, probably about sixty. Okay, <laughs> but anyway. They're all close. So Speedy was using the stuff, and Dick saw it. And he went over uh, to the equipment guy. said, what's he using? He said, oh, well, we got this stickum. We got this paste stuff. And he said, let me see it. So that's how we ended up getting it from there. And there was a small company in San Diego that made it. Oh. You know? And so that's how we got it. And it was because we, uh, you, we saw Speedy Duncan using it. You know, and so that's 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 how the story that's how it started, and that's where that's basically where it came from. And then you know, uh, I don't know, you know, if just because of our reputation with the Raiders, when we started using it, it got uh, I don't want to say blown out of proportion, but uh, probably not. But we always said, you know, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. <laughs> and but I but I will say this, I will say this. I would rather have those sticky gloves that those guys use today than to stick them. Yeah. You know, it's you funny know? to say that. I interviewed Steve Largent, and he said the same thing. He said, man, what I would do to have those gloves that these guys have today. Oh, hell yeah. You know, uh, absolutely. I mean, you know, you know, with the stick them, you know, you play, go back, and you're playing in the cold and the snow, like back east or up in Denver, Kansas City. That stuff hardens. Right. <laughs> you know. It, it gets hard, and uh, and you have no gloves. 
And uh, you know, but but though, but uh, but those gloves they have now are phenomenal. I'll tell you what. Yeah, I wish I wish I had that. And yeah, I'm, well, I'm glad at least Steve 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 knew that because Steve and I are very close and good friends. And I love Steve. He's a very very close friend of mine, and I think the world of Steve. Oh, He's cool. uh, phenomenal. I, w- I was happy to see him getting that group of what a hundred. Yeah. That was named what about a year, two, a year ago, maybe two years ago now. Yeah, I was yeah. really proud of him to, for him to be able to get into that into that that group because he's is very well deserved. He he was a phenomenal player, you know, yeah. and very and a gentleman and a very good guy. Yeah, yeah, I agree. He was a fun guy to interview. Um, as yeah. as have you been, and you've been very generous with your time. I'm going to wrap up. I'm going to read you a a quote. I just love this from Madden because it just kind of captured everything. Um, uh, John Madden on Fred Bolitnikoff. The thing that's most impressive about Fred is that he is a man-made receiver. He's had to work for everything he got. He can catch anything he can touch. That's no accident. Some wide receivers might catch 15 or 20 balls in practice. Fred will catch 100 kind of sums it up about the work ethic and, and <laughs> what, what he and Al are looking for, right? <laughs> uh, I'll tell you what, you know, something there's, you know, you go back and years go by and you think, and, you know, it's sad, John passing away, uh, you know, and you, you think about people that, that you were part of your life that you got a chance to spend time with. And I had that opportunity with him and yeah. it was a terrific time. It was a, it was a, a great time of my life to be able to be around him. It really was. That's awesome. Well, Fred Blitnikoff, thank you so much for taking the time to um, to come on Chasing Hardware. I can't tell you how much fun this has been for me. All right. Well, you take care of yourself, okay? Sounds good. Thank you, Fred. All right, mate. And thank you for listening to Chasing Hardware. I've been your host, Rich Lumello. The Michael Stanley Band brought us in and the suburbs with Life is Like are going to take us out. Speak to you next time. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.